This episode is sponsored by the School of Hope Foundation, giving hope to children in Kenya through education. St. Aloysius Gonzaga is a free high school for youth from the Kibera slum in Nairobi, whose lives have been impacted by HIV-AIDS. See how they are building hope on their website, www.schoolofhopekenya.org, and please make a gift online today. And welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And no Zach Davis. Nope. He just got Mr. married. Zach Mr. Davis. Zach Davis, <laughs> who just got hired. Wow, hired. <laughs> Guys, it's going to be a very, it's been already a long week already yeah. because we were in Ohio celebrating yeah. Mr. Zach's wedding, yeah. um, which takes us to what we have on tap this week, Ashley. Yes, this was provided in Zach and Amanda's wedding gift bag. It is some post-wedding Pedialyte. <laughs> I think we were both in need of a detox and some hydration. Yep, yep. Um, so this is, this is really saving the day. So cheers. Cheers to the newlyweds. And who are we talking to today, Olga? This week, we're talking with Father Luke Hansen, who is a former associate editor at America. And he's currently reporting for us from the Pan-Amazonian Synod in Rome. So we decided to bring him in to give us an on-the-ground look um, at what's happening at this year's Synod. Yeah, we both have worked with Luke, and he Mm -hmm. is wonderful and just such a thoughtful commentator. Um, And yeah, like you said, he's been on the ground, so he's he's been seeing these interesting changes that have been happening at the Synod up close. So like there's a lot more interaction, it seems, between the lay auditors and the bishops. It's a little more casual. Mm -hmm. They're not wearing their cassocks. Um, So we wanted to talk to him to get get a feel for what it was like to be there um, and kind of what what his predictions and hopes for the Synod are. But first, we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sip through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, our first story comes from a tweet by Pope Francis in which he seems to have unintentionally lent his support to the New Orleans Saints, the NFL football team, um, who are facing off against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. Right. So he tweeted, Today we give thanks to the Lord for our new hashtag Saints. They walk by faith and now we invoke their intercession. Yes. So Pope Francis was, he intended this tweet Um He was talking about the five saints who were canonized at the Vatican on Sunday, including Cardinal John Henry Newman, the 19th century English theologian, um, along with four women, three women religious and a laywoman. Um, So he was, you know, welcoming these new saints to our communion. Uh, But that's not how Twitter took it. It is not. So once he used the hashtag saints, it automatically added the football team's official logo to the viral tweet. Yes. So after the saints defeated the Jaguars 13 to 6, their official Twitter account tweeted out, couldn't lose after or they retweeted Pope Francis Mm -hmm. saying, couldn't lose after this hashtag blessed and highly favored. So after this tweet went went viral, an official from the Vatican said that this was a case of accidental evangelization, but hoped that maybe someone who didn't know will become aware that there are other saints to pay attention to. Yes, including newest saint, Cardinal Newman. So pray for us. Pray for the NFL. 
What's our next story, Olga? So our next story is part of our Being Frank section, where this week at Mass, Pope Francis said, learn to point the finger at yourself to be freed of hypocrisy. Yes. So he was uh, giving a homily in which I believe there was talk of Pharisees. um, And he said that hypocrisy is something that Catholics must be cured of. And the best medicine is to point the finger at ourselves before God. Some some tough medicine. Yeah, some very (laughs) tough medicine. He said that Jesus doesn't tolerate hypocrisy and we should do as Catholics. We should work really hard to rid ourselves of this. Yeah, I'm not a hypocrite, though. Neither am I. So he was clearly not talking to us. So we're good. (laughs) (laughs) He was clearly talking to Zach. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's our next story, Ashley? So we've got a quick update on the story we brought you last week about Cabrini Gate, the controversy in New York City where the city called for a statue of Mother Cabrini and the city decided to not build that statue. Now, New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, has waded into this controversy saying that if the city won't build the statue, then he will. He said this to a cheering crowd at a Columbus Day parade in New York City. Right. And the Diocese of Brooklyn, which put the statue of Mother Cabrini on its float for the parade, has subtle, (laughs) very, very (laughs) subtle. They've already raised $30,000 for the construction of the statue. So now Cuomo says that the state is going to provide the rest of the funds and create a commission to decide the location for the statue. Yeah, I just really love this drama. Like, if you're not from New York, you don't know the history of the beef between Andrew Cuomo and Mm -hmm. uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio. Both Democrats, both you know, Italian Americans, right? Catholics, right. <laughs> but they they just love to go after each other. They really, really do. And seeing them hop into this, into which Ashley just informed me is called Cabrini Gate. Oh, yeah. I hadn't heard that term yet. <laughs> seeing them hop onto this Cabrini Gate scandal, it's just like you guys. I really doubt that they actually care about this. Oh, I know. They, they just want to go to blows with each other. <laughs> I know. And my favorite is Bishop Nicholas DiMarzio. He's the Bishop of Brooklyn who's he's trying to pretend like he's above the fray. He said, quote, I'm not fighting with anyone. We just started to do what we thought was right. And somebody came to help us. I'm not going to say no to help. <laughs> oh, I love this. Very subtle. <laughs> Very yeah. subtle. But we're going to have, it looks like we'll have our Mother Cabrini statue after all, which is good news for the Catholics of New York. What's our next story, Olga? I'm really excited to bring what is probably our first sneaker SOT to Jesuitical. (laughs) So recently a pair or not a pair, but uh, 24 pairs of Air Max 97s, which is one of Nike's classic sneaker designs, which have been out for over 20 years. They were redesigned by a Brooklyn creative label and they were redesigned in a super, super Catholic way. Oh, yeah. So these are being called Jesus shoes, Mm -hmm. and they feature holy water from the Jordan River, like in the soles of the shoe. They have a Bible verse, Matthew 14, 25, stitched onto it. There's a single blood drop um, on on the, I think, the tongue of the shoe. Um, The bottom smell like frankincense. There's a crucifix attached to the laces, and if that was not enough, The insoles are red, meant to represent the papal shoes that used to be sported by popes until Pope Francis came around. Right, and even the packaging itself featured an angel and their recreate a recreated papal seal on the box. And like I mentioned earlier, they made 24 pairs of these, which were priced at $3,000, which is insane. And they sold out 
within 24 hours. And Nike was not involved in this process. Yeah, no, I like these shoes are so extra and I kind of love them. Obviously, I cannot afford (laughs) (laughs) $3,000 pairs of shoes. Um, And so this uh, creative label that made these shoes, um, they said they were not doing this to, you know, mock religion, but instead to mock the, quote, absurd collaboration culture. I'm not a sneaker person, so I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) But I guess it's good that they're not making fun of the Catholic Church. Right, right. And they, you know, the my understanding of this collabo culture is that you know, like a sneaker company will pair up with a really random label like Adidas paired up with Arizona iced tea and they like mm. ma- designed a sneaker, which is really weird. <laughs> so they wanted to see what a collab with Jesus Christ would look like. And honestly, when I first saw this headline, I thought, OK, this can either be really offensive or really great. Yeah. And I was super into it. I think yeah. that they clearly have someone who really gets Catholicism because the details are just too oh, yeah. perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think uh, maybe a nice gesture would be to use some of the proceeds to maybe support some of the great work that uh, Catholic charities are doing in the West Bank along the Jordan River. Um, but otherwise, I'm all for this. What's our next story, Ashley? Oh, man, this is even better. So we're now moving from... New York City, across the river to New Jersey, where two women were caught trying to cheat their way to bingo victory. Teresa Davis, age 71, and Keisha Brockington, 38, um, taped the winning numbers onto their original bingo cards in an attempt to secure the $200 prize at St. Maria Goretti's Church's bingo night. Right. And they were caught after a vigilant church volunteer noticed the alteration on the cards and the police were summoned to investigate. I know. I can't believe they called the police. I know. <laughs> Honestly, Poor like if, if I were present for this, I know. it's bingo at a church. Yeah, Definitely call them out yeah. and handle it at the church. But to call the police. I know. But so the women were actually charged with improper behavior, which is a a city ordinance uh, in this New Jersey town. Uh, It's not clear if they're going to face any what punishment they will face. They were not taken off in handcuffs. But um, the the pastor of the church, the Reverend Joseph Ganeel, said that in the church's 20 years of bingo nights, this is the first scandal they faced and hopefully the last. (laughs) What's our next story, Olga? So faith and religious liberty were major topics of discussion at the Human Rights Campaign's Equality Town Hall last week on CNN, which focused on issues which are affecting LGBT people in the United States. Right. So a number of the candidates in the Democratic field took part in this town hall. So they weren't all on stage together, but they were all being asked questions um, about this tension that can exist between LGBT rights um, and religious liberty. Uh, And one candidate in particular caused quite a stir in his response to a question about whether churches and faith-based groups should lose their tax-exempt status if they don't support same-sex marriage. So Beto O'Rourke, when he was asked this, he said yes. He said, quote, there can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. And this is actually a pretty big departure from what the Democratic Party has generally said about religious liberty. Usually there's a pretty stark line drawn between what happens at a house of worship where the government gives pretty wide leeway to the beliefs that can be tolerated there because of the the First Amendment. Um, And then kind of what the activities of maybe like a a charity that's affiliated with a religious group or a school. It would have 
really major implications for churches, charities and schools, which would lose their tax exempt status for holding what, you know, is the biblical view of marriage that most of the country had just 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. And other candidates actually did push back against um, Beto O'Rourke's stance. Um, Pete Buttigieg, who he's gay, he's married to a man and he's also Episcopalian. Um, he was a little bit more tempered in when he was asked about Beto's response. Um, and he said that he does support anti-discrimination protections for LGBT people, but that quote going after tax exemptions for churches, Islamic centers, or other religious facilities in this country, I think that's going to deepen the divisions that we're already experiencing. And so that's like, I, I guess he sees it as, you know, not prudent and maybe politically not smart. But I also think just like on its merits, it is not a good move for this country. I think that churches and, like he said, mosques and other other religious organizations have these deeply felt beliefs and that shouldn't prevent them from serving their neighbors, which is a lot of what would be affected if these kind of rules went into effect. It's not just churches, it would be adoption centers and social services. Um, And so the very people that the Democratic Party says they want to help with their social programs would probably be hurt by, by a move that cut off federal funding for for religious entities because right. of their views on this. Right, right. And I just think about all of the immigrants and all of the communities of color that are served by churches, that are served by schools. And if we mm-hmm. were to take this status away from them, we would really it would really be detrimental to just not allow them to continue to be doing the work that they're doing. And I really I really appreciated what Elizabeth Warren also said when she pushed back saying that, quote, Religious institutions in America have long been free to determine their own beliefs and practices. She doesn't think that we should require them to conduct same-sex marriages in order to maintain this status. Yeah, and I, I guess I was I was heartened by the fact that there was pushback from within the Democratic Party, and I think that shows that they realize, one, that this is not going to play well politically, and two, that it might end up hurting the very people that the Democrats and all of us should want to help with public policy. Joining us via Skype is Jesuit priest Luke Hansen, a former associate editor of America and a special correspondent at the Synod of Bishops on the Pan-Amazonian region. Welcome to Jesuitical, Luke. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, we're super excited. We know it's been a very busy week. You've been at the Synod, which started on October 6th. So can you just set the scene for us? What's the mood been like at the Synod? Well, one thing that's different from in the past is they announced on the first morning of the Synod that... The bishops were not expected to wear cassocks and they, or skull they, caps. they cheered when they heard that, right? The report is they cheered <laughs> and they were relieved. But it, it does change the atmosphere even outside of the Synod Hall because sometimes it's, yeah, during a synod when bishops are dressed so formally, it's very noticeable on the street. People feel like they're in another world or in another time, you know, when they're near the Vatican and then you see bishops and cardinals and others walking around in such formal dress. So, yeah, there are more people on the streets. Um, There are a lot of reporters and cameras around. So this synod is it's on the Amazon region. Um, So why should people who do not live in the Amazon care about what's going on inside the synod hall? Well, I'd say like Pope Francis emphasized in his encyclical Laudato Si, we share one common home. The Amazon 
has been called the lungs of the planet. Practices that destroy the environment there have an effect on other parts of the world. Another factor is, you know, we are one church and we belong to one body. So the struggles of Catholics in that region are struggles that should concern us, um, that we should want to listen to and learn about and be engaged with. So I've heard a number of people who live in the region describe the effects of mining, the consequences that their communities have suffered because of that, whether it's polluting the water, forcing them off of land where they've always lived. So as Catholics, as members of one church and members of one body, I think it should be of concern for us when Catholics in other parts of the world are suffering, like many people in the Amazon have been. Right. And we're going to get delve a little bit deeper into some of the issues you just mentioned now, but what makes this diff- this synod different from past synods that we've seen, even synods that we've seen under Pope Francis? Well, one unique aspect of this synod is that it's focused on a distinct ecological territory. And the focus that this synod has already had on an integral ecology, thinking about a theology of creation, A number of bishops have already mentioned what they are calling ecological sins and the need for the church to reflect theologically on the sinfulness of destructing the environment and not caring for our common home as we should. And another topic they're going to be discussing, um, or at least according to the headlines leading up to the Synod, is the idea of ordaining married men to serve um, in these remote locations in the Amazon and also maybe ordaining women deacons. So like that, that's there's been a lot of controversy about that leading up to the Synod. So I'm wondering, one, why is this a topic for the Synod on the Amazon? It seems like a lot of it's focused on the environment, but then there's also the this idea of priestly celibacy. So like, what are the unique pastoral challenges that make priestly celibacy something that's on the table? And is it as big a deal as the press is making it seem? Now, related to the question of married priests, the primary pastoral challenge that that responds to is the fact that there's a severe shortage of priests in the region because of the vast distances between communities, because of this shortage of priests, Sometimes they talk about it as in the Amazon, there's a ministry of visiting where a priest will go to different communities and maybe be in each community once a year or twice a year. And if a priest can't be a regular presence in a community, then people are either going without the Eucharist, which is the heart of the church's life, the source and summit of the Christian's life, or people are finding themselves more attracted to other churches where there's a ministry of presence. So it's a response to a pastoral need, and it's a way to reach more people to address this pastoral challenge. Seeing the images of all of the different indigenous peoples present at the Synod have been so moving to watch from where we are. What's it been like to see their such rich faith traditions in Rome, and how are bishops and others engaging with these groups? It's beautiful to see. The bishops who are here for the Synod, these are their people. So I see a lot of love and affection and embrace and welcome, even though it might be very different from, you know, the Catholic expressions that we see in Rome. Yeah, and I imagine it is beautiful to see, but one of the disheartening things for me has been 
hearing the ways that some critics of the synod have have described these rituals and expressions um, that that they're seeing taking place at the Vatican. Um, there there was a prayer service in the Vatican Gardens, and and there was you know like statues and different objects from the Amazon. And people in the press were, or some people in the press were like calling this like paganism infiltrating the Vatican, and there were charges of syncretism. Um, so how do you how do you respond to those criticisms? I think one's understanding of God and theological perspective makes a big difference in how different cultural or religious expressions are viewed. So I think of God as already present and alive in a place before I ever visit there or say anything about the gospel. So one approach is one of discernment, to really be open to an encounter with something different, to learn what is actually happening, what is this practice, what is the meaning of it. So I would not be quick to prejudge something that is just unfamiliar to me. And Luke, how has the Pope or other synod organizers responded to these criticisms? Well, the, the Pope said something playful a few days ago, which I think has appeared in the media, when somebody was criticizing uh, the headdress that one of the indigenous leaders was wearing. And the Pope made a comment about the, the hats that the cardinals wear in Rome and how other people might find those strange. So it really is a matter of perspective. I think, you know, we can assume that all of the Catholic expressions that we're familiar with and that we've lived with our whole lives are what it means to be Catholic. And of course, those were never like foreign elements to the church. But I think if we scrutinize our, the own, you know, the elements of our Catholicism, we can see how um, parts of our Catholic practice were adopted from non-Christian contexts, but eventually, you know, embraced uh, by the church in different ways. I mean, just thinking about like the vestments that priests wear at mass or the... Are you saying lace is not inherently Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure like uh, Christians in the early churches would look at you know, much of the church today and wonder how in the world did this happen? And when was this approved as like a legitimate Christian expression? So I think, yeah, it requires a little perspective and a willingness to be self-critical and to see one's own practices as cultured Mm -hmm. and not just pure Christian expressions of God's revelation. So this is, I think you said, the fourth synod under Pope Francis. So there have been a few of these. Um, and last year, there was the one on young people, and I kind of followed it very closely, and it was interesting. But I can't say a year out that I feel like my experience of the church as a young person has changed. Um, so what is it? Do synods, are they supposed to change the church in concrete ways? And and what what steps will be taken during and after this synod to to make sure all these important challenges that they're discussing actually get addressed outside of Rome. It's easy to cite the ordination of married priests as one very practical effect that could come from this synod. But there are other really creative ideas being discussed that, you know, we'll have to wait and see how they unfold over time. But 
one intervention at the synod raised the possibility of an indigenous Catholic rite that might bear some resemblance to, you know, the different churches that exist in the East, the Eastern Catholic churches that have liturgies that look different and happen to have married priests as well. So they are talking about concrete changes that could happen. And because they're going to happen in one part of the world, I think it's going to be easier for them to follow through on it. And Luke, what are your own hopes? What, what do you hope comes out of the Synod when, once it's done? Well, one of the really exciting aspects for me is to, and I felt this when I was reading the working document for the Synod, this is a church in the Amazon claiming its identity. It was clear to me that that document was not written in Rome. That document came from the participation of those 80,000 people in the Amazon, and it was their document. It expressed their concerns and a lot of the challenge they faced, whether ecological or pastoral, and it expressed their hopes. And I was amazed by its its radical openness to asking, like, how can we do this better as a church? How can we reach more people? You know, the organization of the church has to be at the service of that. So they didn't seem bound at all or constricted by the way things have happened in the past. So I have a lot of hope in their own faith and creativity and resolve for this synod to make a difference in that region. And that's a model for the whole church, because, you know, one thing that I hope happens as we have these global synods is that more bishops in their local diocese will say, oh, maybe it's time to have a synod in our local church that will involve a lot of people and that will hear from a wide range of voices about what are the main challenges in our communities? What are people's hopes for what the church could become? And that that happens on a local level in every part of the world. And I think the way that these synods are unfolding, um, they can become a model and an example for others to follow. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us this on-the-ground update of the Synod. Um, We do have one final question for you. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or not, who would it be and why? That is a fantastic question. I would want to canonize somebody who was sexually abused by a priest, who had the courage early on to speak out, who endured a lot of suffering because so many Catholics and Catholic leaders were unwilling to listen to her, but she called the church to account and to something better. Sadly, a lot of people fit that profile and have been very courageous prophets in our church. So I would love to see, yeah, one of them sort of raised up as a model of what it means to be faithful and devout, and to be truly concerned about the church and its ability to witness to what we believe, God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion in the world. Yeah, that's a great answer. Amen. So Luke, where can people follow you on social media for all of your Synod updates? So I've been live tweeting the press briefings that happen each day. Mm -hmm. They start early in the morning, New York time. They would start at 
seven 30 in the morning <laughs> and my social media uh, name is Luke Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N-S-J. Twitter is the main place where I'm giving updates. And then American Media has a special page for the Senate on the Amazon. And all of our reporting from Jerry O'Connell and myself here in Rome can be found on that page. Yes, and that is americamag.org slash Amazon dash Synod dash 2019. Luke, thank you again for joining us. Um, this has been fantastic. And we look forward to more of your updates. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Luke. This episode is sponsored by the School of Hope Foundation, giving hope to children in Kenya through education. St. Aloysius Gonzaga is a free high school for youth from the Kabira slum in Nairobi whose lives have been impacted by HIV-AIDS. See how they are building hope on their website, www.schoolofhopekenya.org, and please make a gift online today. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week tied to the wonderful wedding that we (laughs) were able to witness this past weekend. They were both extremely beautiful. The ceremony was great. The reception was great. But the consolation for me was in, one, being able to witness God bringing these two people together and just seeing them start the rest of their lives together. And two, just being reminded, and this was something I I hope I'm not misquoting this. I think Father Eric Sandrup mentioned this in the mm-hmm. homily that marriage is a vocation and it is something that we are called to do. And I think that is a great reminder for me because I often forget about the fact that God is bringing two people together and I get so caught up in like, I need to be a certain weight or look a certain way before I can get married. When in reality, God has already given me the gifts that I need to be married and just being present for that, seeing them do that was just like extremely consoling. It's just a wonderful reminder. Yeah, it was great. And I obviously also have a consolation <laughs> from the wedding. Um, and I, yeah, when I was talking to Eric, it was just, it was like one of those, one of those times when it was like, the whole thing was a consolation. How right. am I supposed to like pick one thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing that, um, that stuck with me, uh, Father Eric Sundrup, he gave the com- homily, as you mentioned. Um, and one thing he, he did was describe how persistent Zach was, uh, in, in his love for Amanda. And it's something I see in, in our own friendship, uh, I, I've talked about how like making friends is difficult for me. And um, when he came to New York, like first he like forced me to hang out with America people, and then he forced me to hang out with our soccer team. And at the wedding, both those groups were there, and I was just like feeling so grateful um, for his friendship uh, and for the way that he. Uh, you know, he just has this abundance of love that like overflows to everyone mm-hmm. around him. Um, and when you're confronted with that, you the only natural response is to to love in re- in return. <laughs> um, and so, and I know that Amanda is is the same way. She also brings people together. So I'm just so excited to see 
what this power couple does <laughs> in the coming years because because they really are they have such a gift um for strengthening friendships around them uh, and i think that's really beautiful yeah and i saw that at this wedding for sure zach is just gonna hear this and be like so you guys just really <laughs> miss me and it's only been two episodes without him and we really do miss you but we hope you're having a great time yeah. and thank you again for bringing us to your wedding it was yeah, wonderful it was and we're gonna be um off next week oh so yes. Zach is going to be on his honey honeymoon. I'm going on a on a pilgrimage to Ireland with America, and you're celebrating your 30th birthday. Where are you going? I'm going to Morocco. Yeah, so big week for Jesuitical. I know, a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be off, but we'll be back the first week of November. All right, I'll take us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Colleen Dully and Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. Production help from Tucker Redding. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to L.M. Langdon. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt Studio at American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>